When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. In the bonus with Colin Taylor from Gamecock Central and Tyler Head, powered by Twin Peaks and Canty Foundation Specialists on your home of the Gamecocks in Columbia, 107.5 The Game. Also heard on 100.3 The Game in Myrtle Beach and 100.5 The Game in Florence. All right, and welcome in to In the Bonus. Colin Taylor is not here today. Tyler Head along with you. Wes and Chris, we are out at Gold Line Framing, 509 12th Street, out here in West Columbia, right across the street from Zesto. Going to be broadcasting live until noon today. Come by and see us. It's Thursday, getting closer and closer to another weekend of college football. And, you know, I think we can forgive Colin Taylor for missing one day he has been on a, a hot streak of doing the full show with me for like the past three weeks so i think it's okay is this still in the bonus if it colin is. isn't here <laughs> i mean i consider like these combined shows like in the bonus slash the extra point slash garner trust tower slash the gamecock central takeover I'm presented by firehouse subs but that takes too long <laughs> to say every time we come back from a commercial so we'll just break it up by show i, I feel like okay. This hour has an identity crisis right now. <laughs> At times, it feels um, that way. But I feel like when we're out and about, which we are, yeah. at Gold Line Framing, come see us. Yes. Uh, this is the entire game. Co- the, the takeover is for yeah, the entire three Yeah, the takeover hours. kind of extends to another couple it's hours. It's a literal takeover. We are but taking over the three hours. That's true. So come hang out with yes, us exactly. at Gold Line Framing. That's the main point of all this. In West Columbia. Yes. Um, I just can't change the intros to coming back from every break, so we'll have yeah. to deal with it. We will. Yeah, excited to be out here. Uh, last time we were out here was a couple of months ago. It's when Nick Imanawari came and hung out with us for a little bit. So it's been a little while, but excited to be back out here and, uh, yeah, getting ready for another weekend of football coming up. Yeah, unfortunately, I think Nick is busy this week. Would be uh, great if he could come out here. But, uh, yeah, that was awesome. We got stuff on the wall, uh, you know, obviously – uh, Gamecock stuff, if there are Clemson fans out there, too, you know, we got some stuff for you as well. I think they hide that in the back. But um, <laughs> there's some Christmas stuff available on the other side of the store as well. So come see us. Uh, but, yeah, South Carolina, Mississippi State, we've been talking all week about how this is a very interesting, I don't think you say rivalry, but just the traditionally when these two teams have played, memorable things have, have tended to happen. Um, I didn't realize when we were talking about it, the other day but actually so yesterday was 22 years to the day mm-hmm. of when South Carolina and Mississippi State um, you know were the first two major colleges major teams to play football after the 9-11 attacks and um, you know so I, I think that's maybe the most memorable moment in this series history on the field the most memorable moment uh, has got to be the fade which um I believe the anniversary of the fade is actually this Saturday. Okay. So um, I- interesting that this is lined up where, uh, you know, South Carolina is playing Mississippi State this week um, on some 
historic dates between these two schools. And it's interesting when you look at the comparisons of these two teams for the first couple of weeks. I don't think either one is where they expected to be. I don't think either one necessarily expected to be undefeated, but you know, we know South Carolina had a rough outing against North Carolina in week number one, bounced back with the win against Furman as expected. You lost to Georgia, not in the manner that I think a lot of people thought you were going to lose to Georgia, but nevertheless, you come into this game sitting at one and two. Mississippi State, on the other hand, Southeast Louisiana first week, that's whatever. An overtime <laughs> game against an Arizona team that they really shouldn't have should have beaten more handily. They survived that one, and they just get dog-walked by LSU last week um, to start off conference play. So both teams kind of coming into this game uh, not exactly where they thought they would be. And, you know, you kind of look at both sides, and it's really a must-win both ways for these two teams. Yeah, y'all know by now I hate the phrase must-win. Um, but but it's it, – it, Gamecock fans need a W right now. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I, I think when you look at this – the, the difference for me between the two programs right now is that Zach Arnett is kind of not in the same position, but is he in a, he's in a similar position to what Shane Beamer was in three seasons ago. And so, so Beamer's in his third year at South Carolina. There's a whole host of other sort of issues that kind of start to pop up when you talk about year three, year four, and, uh, you know, a new tenure because that's kind of when you're in that transition period where – a lot of your, your guys who are your older players from the previous staff are starting to roll off the roster. You're playing more freshmen. You're playing more newcomers. You can look at that year three. That's generally kind of a transition year for coaches. But point being, Arnett, he's in year one. Mm-hmm. And coming, obviously, under tragic circumstances in the first place. And then when you bring that onto the football conversation, you know, it's, it's, a, it's just probably a strange turnover for him, um, you know, to take over as the coach after something like that happens. So, you know, I, I think for them, they're in transition. Obviously, they're running the same defense because he is kind of running the defense, even as the head coach. Right. Completely different offense, though. And you're talking about an offensive scheme that was very unique under Leach. And, you know, I, I think for them, for, if you're South Carolina, you can look at a lot of different reasons. Oh, you know, you open the season against North Carolina. That's a tough matchup for you. That's a veteran North Carolina team. Going to Georgia is always uh, difficult. We know that. But this one actually sets up pretty well for you on paper if you're South Carolina as far as SEC games go. They're in transition. It's at your place. It's at night. And I think that's where you give the advantage, and that's where you say, you know, South Carolina needs to win this game. And Zach Arnett did say, you know, during his Monday press conference, what you said, Tyler, that there's some similarities between these two teams. And what, when he said that, I was kind of, at first I was taken aback. I was like, wonder what he means. I think there are some things kind of on the field um, that you could point at the offensive line, for instance, right? South Carolina, Mississippi State, both have rotated guys. They're both, you know, they both had some struggles in trying to find their way there. But I think another one is kind of, what you're saying, Wes, that might have been what Arnett had in mind and that both these teams, you're just not really sure what they are quite yet. You know, Mississippi State, actually, this will be their first road game this season, yep. number one. It'll also be Zach Arnett's first road game as a head coach and first-year head coach, all of them. When they get to a new school, even if they've been a head coach before, there are always kind of those transitions and finding your way and feeling your way through things, and particularly when you're completely changing the offense from one – 
not only from one system to a new system, but systems that are pretty different, right, going from the air raid offense under Mike Leach to Kevin Barbet coming over from App State, kind of a more run-based offense. This It wouldn't be fair to say Mississippi State has not been tested. I think they have probably, you know, twice. Mm-hmm. One of them, they failed against LSU. And so it's similar to South Carolina, like, right, like South Carolina was tested against Georgia. They did a pretty good job in that game. You don't win. Mississippi State had a much worse showing against LSU than South Carolina had against Georgia. Then you look at the other games. Arizona, are they a good team? I don't know. They'd probably be a decent team. I think they had five, they, five, five, six wins last year. Yeah, so they, they eke out some wins. Jedfish doing a pretty good job there. Southeast Louisiana, bad football team. They're 0-3, kind of a non-competitive game. So you kind of throw that one out. The Gamecocks, on the other hand, they've been tested twice. Uh, Furman is, as far as FCS teams go, a pretty good test that they, that they passed. So both these teams still, I think you're trying to find out what they are. You know, how good can these teams be? Um, First-year coach Zach Arnett, Shane Beamer in year three, most difficult schedule in the country by some metrics, certainly one of the most difficult schedules. So I kind of think that when Arnett said that on Monday, he, he kind of had all those things in mind, you know, some similarities in terms of trying to – find your way on offense trying to you know get a rotation going with the offensive line but also uh, just trying to figure out who you are as a team because we really don't know on the South Carolina end I don't think we know through three games yet yeah definitely so and this is definitely the one matchup that South Carolina has had this season where you definitely feel more favorable for them I looked last line I looked at was a six and a half point favorite and like the ESPN FBI has them favored by about 60 percent going to this game still going to be a toss-up still going to be one that's probably going to be close through four quarters and you mentioned this is the first time that Zach Arnett's going on the road as a head coach uh you know his time there at Mississippi State so that certainly could play into South Carolina's favor as well and obviously a home environment at Williams-Brice Stadium on a Saturday night is always going to be great and I uh, certainly hope that plays in the factor of the Gamecocks this weekend. Well, they, they've played very well at home at night. And, you know, I, I think this one is interesting. I think we learned something this week because you're kinda, you've kind of played three games that are on one extreme or the other. You know, you look at Georgia, uh, heavy, heavy underdogs. North Carolina, you're a small underdog, but, you know, that, that's a top 25 team. The other end, Furman, yeah, solid FCS team, but, you know, you're a heavy favorite in that game, too. Like, the, you're not expected to lose to Furman. So you kind of finally go into a game, and, and I, I think it's a little bit similar to North Carolina, but um, obviously with it skewed a little bit more towards South Carolina in that we're going to learn, all right, if South Carolina is sort of not a, a top 15 team right now and they're not an awful team right now, where in that sort of huge space in the middle – does this team fall right now? And the the unfortunate thing for the Gamecocks is that in this league, if you are at the top edge of sort of all that middle ground, you can carve out a, a pretty good season. But if you're at the bottom edge of that sort of middle ground, you can get humbled in, in a hurry. And I, I feel like all last season, we were sort of all trying to figure out where is South Carolina in this middle ground. And as as the year progressed, it started to get to kind of the middle, then the two-thirds. I think we were all like, oh, no. Like, they're, they may be on the bottom side of yeah. this. And then they, of course, rebound and, and get two huge wins to, to finish the year. So it, it is kind of a roller coaster. You're always learning more about the team. You're always sort of in a situation where you're, um, you're trying to put the pieces together. And I, I do think 
fans will be excited to know. I do think we're going to see the continued youth movement for South Carolina going into this week and then moving forward because I, I think it is absolutely a necessity for them to continue to build some of this depth. After uh, week two, I think it was, remember a lot of stuff was floating around social media like, who's good in college football? Like, is anybody good? Right. You know, it, it's been a year where it seems like there's been more parity, and mm -hmm. that's because, you know, you've got Texas appearing to make a move. You've got Alabama looking ooh, a little rough. So, like, Georgia seems like the best team in the country to me. Sure. You've got some others that have been very good, but maybe not dominant. And so it's kind of just like in the SEC, if you zoom into it, to your point, Wes, like you've got Georgia at the top. Do we even know who's the second best team in the conference right now? Well, I think I, we all assumed it was Tennessee and then this past week, nah. and it's like, well, Florida's a whole lot better than we thought they were going to be. Or Tennessee's worse. Like, do we know the answer I to that? I think the answer is LSU is the second best team. Even yeah. They I, lost to Florida State. Didn't, and I, didn't we pick that before season? Like, we said, yeah. hey, you got to go with LSU just because of Alabama's quarterback, quarterback questions. Yeah. yeah. And that's Which, played out. I, I'm still – I'm not sure Georgia's the number one team in the country right now, honestly. Do you – do you – do yeah. you – Put them. They don't. They don't look like a national champion right now. Right. Do you, Do you put them as the number one team in the country right now, based on last year and the fact they haven't yeah. lost? Probably so. If you're yeah. taking it from like a a ranking standpoint. Sure. If you ask me, literally, who is the best team in the country? I'm I'm not really sure that it's Georgia. Um, I I might have gone out and maybe even have said Texas, but now we're sitting there going, is the Alabama win yeah. that? as impressive as we thought it was at the time. Well, and that in Texas goes from beating Alabama to having a really sleepy game against Wyoming last week. So it's yes. like, okay, which side of the spectrum is it? Like, yeah, nobody's really, and we are only three weeks into the season, so we'll certainly learn more over these next couple weeks, especially as everybody begins conference play. But, yeah, it's really hard to definitively say, all right, here's the best team or here are the best four teams in college football that have separated themselves from everybody so far. Well, and Florida State even had a, a sleepy game against Bob like, they're apparently Florida State had a bunch of players sick, et cetera, et cetera. But, I mean, Boston College had, like, 18 penalties in that game. They, yeah. they had a chance to potentially go win it. Right. And and had a penalty on a critical down and distance. Right. So we just don't know. Yeah, I know. It's been a weird start of the season. I'm getting kind of 2007 vibes from it, so we'll see how that plays out as the rest of the year goes along. Uh, we did hear from the coordinators yesterday ahead of this weekend's game against Mississippi State. We hear a little bit of what Dow Loggins had to say about this offense coming back. Uh, you're listening to In the Bonus slash the Gamecock Central Takeover Hour for the entire three hours as we're broadcasting live out at Gold Line Framing, 509 12th Street here in West Columbia on the game. In the bonus, the bonus. with Colin with Taylor, Colin from, Taylor Gamecock from Gamecock Central and Tyler Hicks. Powered by Twin Peaks and Candy Foundation Specialists on your home of the Gamecocks in Columbia, 107.5 The Game. Also heard on 100.3 The Game in Myrtle Beach and 100.5 The Game in Florence. All right, welcome back in. It is In the Bonus. We're broadcasting live from Gold Line Framing. Myself, West Mitchell, Chris Clark, 511 12th Street here in West Columbia. Going to be broadcasting live until noon. Certainly come by and see us. And uh, obviously we're getting you set for South Carolina 
and Mississippi State coming up this Saturday night, 7.30 on the SC Network. And, of course, you can listen to it right here on the game as well. As I mentioned yesterday, we did hear from the coordinators on their usual Wednesday press conferences. Dow Loggins speaking a little bit yesterday about things to improve with the offense heading into this weekend's game. I'll get Ed to play cut 21 for us. Get that in just a second. You look at penalties, sacks, and those things. Like we've been, you know, until late in that game, we've been the first group has been really good about the ball security, which is something we preach around here. But it's the eight penalties on offense, like the inconsistencies, those things. We have three false starts. You have runs called, um, and all of a sudden, like it just gets behind the sticks, and there's not great calls for first and fifteen, and second and fifteen, and first and twenty. So it's playing smart. It's eliminating the things that hurt you as an offense. Like we are talented. We have some skill guys that can. We have a quarterback that are, are going to make explosive plays because they're talented players. But we can't hurt ourselves and play that game of. It's the uh, Omega. It was like third and 15, we make an explosive. Then it's boom, boom, and then we get an explosive called back. It's like there's, we need more consistency, and that starts with eliminating the self-inflicted wounds. A lot of good points there by Dow Loggins. One of the things that he talked about certainly was the penalties last weekend against Georgia, which I feel like was to be expected, especially when we look at the couple guys that were starting on the offensive line. Nick Arjulo obviously never played in an environment like that before. Um, true Babalade just being a true freshman in general, first road game in the SEC. So those kind of things are forgivable, and even Spencer Rattler said he wasn't worried about that kind of stuff. That's certainly going to improve as the season goes along. But, you know, you do run into those problems when you're suddenly behind the sticks getting into second and 15s, third and 15s and that just makes your job a whole lot harder because this offense is a little more one-dimensional than you would like to be right now. Well, I think what you're seeing is kind of similar to what we've seen all season long. Like, it's kind of a trend at this point, and it is an offense that I, I think... plays and when you hit those big plays you know you put yourself in a position to, to score and and kind of do great things obviously but on the other hand when you're not making those big plays you you kind of bog down I, I think for for Carolina it has been just uh it, it's kind of boom or bust on offense right now I, I think the first drive against Georgia probably one of the best drives of the season in terms of just going out there marching down the field executing got a little bit even from the running game and, and kind of put themselves in a position where they looked like a, uh, you know, a well-oiled machine on offense. And, you know, we, we haven't seen that a ton this year. I, you know, Furman game, you kind of throw some things out with, with that game, honestly. So against the, the good opponents they've played, you know, we just haven't seen that. Even North Carolina, when they scored, it was usually set up by big plays down the field. So Georgia, you even saw those big plays in the second half. But like Loggins said, they were shooting themselves in the foot in terms of keeping any momentum going on offense. So I, I think all these things go back to running the football better. The the teams that stay on the field, the teams that execute, the teams that kind of have uh, those long, drawn-out drives are, are the ones that, frankly, can, can run the football. Well, and I think you go back. So if you kind of look at the drive charts of the Georgia game, I mean, even that first drive, Wes, as impressive as it was, 
there were a few things that helped you along, and you also had to, you know, convert a third and long for the touchdown, you know, to, to trade out. I mean, I assume Mitch Jeter would have made a, what, that would have been a 34-yard field goal, probably, right? But you need you need seven to go win a game like that. You don't want to be, you know, hitting field goals. So, you know, even then they had a negative play on a first down, and then what did they have a sack, I think, on second down. And then you call that screen to Juice Wells, my guy's better than yours, and then he goes and scores. But what we saw in that first drive was Georgia kicks the opening kickoff out of bounds, so now you're at the 35. South Carolina comes out passing the football. They hit some, you know, so there's no negative plays on early downs. That's a big thing that we've seen from this offense that has held them back at times. We've also seen some untimely penalties. We saw them, as you said, Wes, they got some things from the running game early. So they had a third and one that was really important to convert. Mario Anderson got him, you know, seven yards on a run. So I, I look at this offense, and you're exactly right, kind of boom or bust, feast or famine, whatever terminology you want to use to clean that up. I think even more than the penalties, because if you go, yeah, the penalties started stacking up at the end of the game and making a difference, but I think the negative plays and the lack of ability to run the ball, which – you know, is, is a reason for the negative plays. A lot of times when you're running the football with South Carolina, you're either seeing negative plays on early downs or you're just, even in the passing game, sometimes you're seeing some, you know, some passes that some of those shorter passes to the perimeter that teams are kind of coming up and cheating on and, and getting guys down the perimeter blocking, failing. So the penalties have got to get cleaned up, sure, like Logan said, but I think just the the – negative plays have been even bigger on offense, I think. Well, I think, you know, we talked about this last or a couple of days ago. The the penalties, in my opinion, are a lot of cases a direct result of the same issues in the running game and protecting the passer. Yeah. Yeah. You know, some of these holds are because you, frankly, were not able to get into a position to block them without holding. Some of these false starts are – you're trying to get a head start because you know you've had issues, you know, blocking. So all these kind of all tie back in to an extent into the same exact issues. Another thing, I, I had this thought about that that touchdown, you know, to Juice Wells. Everybody loved the call, loved the play because it worked. That's one of those calls if you throw the quick screen to the outside <laughs> and it just gets blown up on third and long, everybody's going, why, you know, why are you being so conservative? What are you doing <laughs> yeah, on pretty, third and long? It's a pretty safe play call. You just – Turn it into a great play. Yeah. It was a safe play call. Turn it into a great play. They caught. I thought they caught Georgia in a good situation for South Carolina. Georgia blitzed. You know, you had the misdirection aspect to it. So, now South Carolina executed it very well. Yeah. I, I think that's some. That's sometimes the big difference on those quick throws to the outside. Do you put everything you have into to blocking on the edge? Spencer timed it up very well as far as faking it one way, throwing it back the other. And so it was well executed, but if one guy misses a block and that gets blown up, because if you're Georgia, all you have to do is get him down mm-hmm. at some point within those 15-plus yards, and uh, it, and you just didn't do it. And it. It looked like they didn't really want to tackle Juice on that play for some reason. And, you know, it, it would have been a completely different story, I, I think. But for this team moving forward, as much as fans are tired of hearing about it, to me it ultimately does go back to that. And, um, you know, to, to the office line, to the running game, and whether or not they can bring that along as this season moves along. While South Carolina certainly still has questions about their offense, you can say Mississippi State has even more about theirs heading into Saturday night. We'll talk a little bit about the Bulldogs and what's going on with their offense coming up. You're listening to In the Bonus 
live out at Gold Line Framing, 511 12th Street in West Columbia, broadcasting till noon here on The Game. You're talking about sponsored by Love Chevrolet on your home of the Gamecocks in Columbia 1075 The Game. Also heard on 100.3 The Game in Myrtle Beach and 100.5 The Game in Florence. Welcome back in in the bonus. We're broadcasting live out at Goldline Framing West Columbia 511. 12th Street going to be broadcasting here until noon. Tyler, Wes, and Chris, along with you, getting you set for South Carolina and Mississippi State coming up Saturday night at 7.30, which, of course, you can listen to right here on the game, pregame coverage, starting locally here on 107.5, the game with Gamecocks Game Day, myself and Terry Ford. We're broadcasting live out at Sound and Images from 2.30 until 4.30, and then Learfield coverage kicks in at 4.30, taking you straight up until kickoff. You know, we talked about South Carolina's offense in the last segment there. Flipping the page over to Mississippi State's offense, you know, coming into this season, Will Rogers, who has, this is his fourth year, has been playing all four years under, the previous three years, excuse me, under Mike Leach's air raid offense. There was a realistic chance that he could go into the season and leave as the SEC's all-time passing leader as far as yards go. Came into the season a little over 11,000 yards, and certainly Aaron Murray's mark of 13,166 was well within reach. Now three games into the season as they head into South Carolina this weekend, there's a realistic chance that, Mike Wright could be starting for Mississippi State this weekend or at least getting a significant amount of play time. And, uh, again, we talk about the fact that Mississippi State has changed up their offense so significantly it's crazy that Will Rogers goes from being one of the best quarterbacks in the SEC to maybe riding the bench in the matter of, uh, in the matter of a couple of weeks. So are they legit thinking about not starting him? He's probably going to start, but there's a good chance that Mike Wright could play a significant amount in this game. I mean, that just shows you how – how little patience you have to have as a coach mm -hmm. these days. Uh, you know, what was that quote about from Dow Loggins a couple of weeks ago? He said there is no honeymoon period in the NFL or the SEC. Right. And, you know, for those guys, it, it's it's almost sad, man. Like, Will Rogers has done a ton for Mississippi State football, um, has been outstanding, I, I feel like, during his time at Mississippi State. Was a perfect scheme fit for Mike Leach's system. And now they've gone completely away from that. And so, yeah, I, I kind of get you're going to need to spark things. Um, you know, w was Will Rogers really a complete system quarterback? Mm -hmm. Or is this a situation where he's still just trying to get acclimated and get settled into what they're doing? Um, Wright certainly is one of those guys that's going to bring extra speed, you know, dynamic element. They're probably saying, look, we got a great running back in Marks. Mm -hmm. You know, it's a South Carolina team that has not consistently stopped the run the last couple of years. Um, if we're going to run the football anyway, then let's give them an extra guy to worry about. And that, that can give you fits when you have a, a running back like they have, who, you know, a prototypical SEC running back is what Clayton White called him, and then add in, even if the guy's not throwing the ball a ton, it, it puts you on your heels defensively. Yeah, absolutely. And Kevin Barbe's 
offensive system does revolve a lot around running RPOs and stuff like that, and that's just not Will Rogers' game. He's not the guy that's going to take off and run on you. He's the one to sit back in the pocket and, as we saw with Mike Leach's offense, sling it down the field. And even some of the watching the LSU game back this past weekend where he went 11 for 28 for uh, just 103 yards and no touchdowns, even the short stuff he seems to struggle with. Like, yeah, it's it, just, it was. He's just off. Yeah, I mean, it, the system is obviously different, but the thing, I mean, it, it is a stark contrast because Will Rogers last year, including the bowl game, almost 4,000 yards passing, 39-74, 35 touchdowns, 8 interceptions, and 68% completions. Now, obviously, we know, we have seen Mike Leach, you know, we, we saw during his famed career, he had quarterbacks that put up huge numbers that were not the most talented guys, didn't have the biggest arm. They're just smart. They could run the system. He allowed his quarterbacks a lot of freedom to, to make calls, you know, at the line. He, he would just give them suggestions of a play call to run. They go look at it. And so if you're a heady guy with some physical ability, you could run it. Not not I kind of oversimplified. It's not that easy. Uh, but Will Rogers was kind of like you said, Wes, the perfect quarterback for it. Now you put him in this new system. And not only does he look not entirely comfortable, he was struggling just to hit basic throws, I thought, against LSU. Now, LSU did a really good job getting pressure on him up front, and so they affected some throws and affected him at times. But even when he had a clean pocket, he was just missing throws, and, and not long balls, like easy, simple throws. And so uh, is, is it something, you know, a little bit mental now that he's gotten into a new system? Maybe so. If you're South Carolina, you hope this isn't the week that – they figure it out. But Mike Wright is an interesting wrinkle to all this. I mean, Gamecock fans have seen him at Vandy the past three years. Uh, he is a dual threat. And I think in Kevin Barbe's offense might be a better fit, right? Because now you think about Mike Wright and Jaquavius Marks, Woody Marks, their running back, who is really, really good. Clayton White said he's a prototypical SEC back having to prepare for both those guys and, and kind of getting that different look if they do end up playing right more in this game, I think that makes it, uh, I don't know, a little bit scarier of a proposition, to be honest with you. But guys, we talk about confidence a lot, and the, the more we're around the game, the more I think confidence is such a key to everything you do. And, you know, we talked about it in the context of Xavier Leggett from last year to this year, but... On the other side of that, I think with Will Rogers, you kind of see how the mental is connected to the physical. And, you know, I've, I've heard stories about Mike Leach installing the base of his offense with a completely new team in three days. Yeah. His entire thing is that this is what my offense is, and we are going to rep these plays to where we can run them perfectly. Mm -hmm. And um, a, a lot of I'm sure it's not quote-unquote simple – but compared to a lot of other schemes, it, it is relatively simple. It's just we're going to execute at a higher level. And to me, he didn't forget how to throw the football. He didn't forget how to make these short throws. But we all know try to do something when you feel very comfortable and confident doing it. Then go try to do something that you're just not comfortable doing. The physical part, the ability doesn't really matter if you're questioning, it, questioning what you're doing mentally. So to me, that's what it feels like. I mean, the fact they got blown out and they only threw the ball 28 times, too, just tells you how different this scheme and approach is for them. I mean, they threw the ball, I, I said the number, what was it, 17 times in the win over Arizona? That's correct. Mm -hmm. They would have thrown the ball 45 times right. in that game 
or you know last year and that's the concern that people have around the Mississippi State program is what identity is this offense trying to establish and you do have a good running back in Jaquavius Marks they can get you some yards and he had plenty of yards against our Arizona in that win a couple weeks ago but it's like okay kind of decide which way you're going to go with this don't swing from going with 17 passes in one game to 28 or 29 the other game find where your balance is and roll with that and that's something they haven't been able to do yet last year last year <laughs> To go off what you said, you said 17 times against against Arizona. Yeah, yeah. So the the low mark uh, last season for Mississippi 38. State, Will Rogers. You're close. 37, which was against in a loss against Kentucky. They lost a game to Alabama, 30 to six last year, and attempted 60 passes in that game. Will Rogers was 30 of 60 for 231 yards. And you you look through here, you see a lot of. 51, uh, uh, an overtime win over Auburn, 59, 50. I mean, there, there's some high totals. So it is, I would be, you know, I'm sure he's talked about this at some point, but, man, I would really be curious to hear Zach Arnett's reasoning for going away from that and going toward this, right? It, he might be. My guess is that, did, have you heard anything, Tyler? Did nothing, he explain? nothing specific on that, and my, my guess is that, thinking long term this is eventually the offense that you want to yeah. run the problem is you have an entire roster full of guys not prepared to run that offense so you know you're going to go through these growing pains for a season or two and yes the transfer portal can certainly speed that process up but it's like man 90 percent of your roster is not prepared to run this kind of offense and you're struggling right and, now and you don't have what you said Wes that that logins passed on there's no honeymoon period you don't have oh well in, you know in three years I think we'll have the hang of it you know, you don't have that anymore. Nobody cares about that anymore. Yeah, you you have to do it now. I I think, and we don't know the inner workings of their program, so not going to pretend we do. I think there probably was a path here where you kept the same offensive like passing game concepts, and then sort of gradually um, ran the ball more, but kept a lot of the same stuff as far as how you're. You're throwing the football now. They may say, "Look, no, we're RPO based. This is completely different." Um, you know, but that, it just—it seems like there would have been an easier path to this as opposed to just completely changing everything you do on offense. Right. We'll continue talking about Mississippi State's offense as we get you set for the Gamecocks and the Bulldogs coming up Saturday night at 7:30, which you can listen to right here on the game. Again, we're broadcasting live out of Gold Line Framing in West Columbia, 511 12th Street. Hanging out until noon. Come by and see us. Here on the game. In the bonus with Colin Taylor from Gamecock Central. Tyler Head. Powered by Twin Peaks and Candy Foundation Specialists. On your home of the Gamecocks. In Columbia, 107.5 The Game. Also heard on 100.3 The Game in Myrtle Beach. And 100.5, the game in Florence. Welcome back in. It is in the bonus slash the Gamecock Central Takeover Hours. We're hanging out. Goldline Frame in West Columbia, 511 12th Street. Myself, Wes, and Chris hanging out until noon, obviously getting you set for the Gamecocks. And the Mississippi State Bulldogs coming up this uh, Saturday night, 7.30, out at Williams Bryce Stadium. I want to head out to Love Chevrolet phone lines. Uh, Ed tells me we do have Ty on the line when we're talking about the Gamecocks. Ty, how are you doing this morning? 30 out at Williams Bryce Stadium. Love Chevrolet phone lines. Ed tells me we do have Ty. 
Ty, turn down your radio, man. Yeah, turn you down are the radio, on buddy. and you are live. You're live. How What's doing up? Doing good, doing good. How y'all doing today? Sorry about that. Um, okay. Quick, I think the Gamecocks is going to win this without any – I think it would be a pretty easy match for the Gamecocks. But I do want to comment as far as how Mississippi State is going to rebuild their offense and their, their whole team. I think the best thing to do is this: go ahead and find out the guys that's on the team now uh, that can fit in your system. That way you can start – Rebuild the nation, as we've seen with Colorado, you can do that actually once, um, one year actually now. Um, so I think they probably just went ahead and implemented their offense and say, let's see who can stay, who we need to replace, and we'll worry about that nation because they're going to give them a pass this year, especially if they um, have a really bad record. As long as they don't go too bad, but I, I think this is probably the best way to go about it with the transfer portal. I'll let you guys talk about it. All right, Ty, appreciate the call as always. Um, and that, that's a good point that he brings up. You know, if you do think that a guy like Mike Wright is the future of this program, then go ahead and implement him if that's the offense uh, and the direction you're trying to go. Now, I'm looking at his uh, career so far. He, this is his fourth season, so I imagine he would still have one more year with the COVID year next year because he is listed as a senior. Um, but, yeah, if that's the way that you're going with your offense, then certainly I would think you would just go ahead and make the switch at some point. What Mississippi State is doing is actually kind of reminds me a lot of what Georgia Tech did a couple of years ago, where Paul Johnson run the triple option for mm -hmm. 10, 12 years. They decide, okay, we're not doing this Great anymore. Point. You bring in Jeff Collins. It's like, all right, we're going to run spread just like everybody else. Well, guess what? 90% <laughs> of your team has been, in, you know, trained to run the triple option. You have offensive linemen that are cut blocking. Like, you didn't have the pieces in place. You didn't have a tight end on that roster for 10 years. Like, you just didn't have the personnel to do that, and you saw how Jeff Collins' tenure at Georgia Tech went. He was gone after just about three years, and Brett Key's there. They're obviously kind of moving in the right direction now, but that's a little bit of a different scenario, but very similar in a way to what Mississippi State is doing in trying to do something vastly different to what your identity's been for the past, what, Leach got there in 2019, I guess, three, four years? It, it is a good point that Ty made. Appreciate the call, Ty, that you know, in the transfer portal era, you can fill holes. You can you can change and shape your roster. Now, as far as the Deion Sanders comparison, that's probably the most extreme that we have. It is the most extreme we've ever seen. It's probably the most extreme that we will see for a while. Just the sheer amount of roster turnover, the way he went about it. Now, the results, I, I don't know what their record will end up this year, but they've certainly been a lot better than just about everyone's expected. I mean, I don't know if anybody thought they would have won – Th you know, bit three and zero, and and as competitive as they've been, I don't know if anybody saw that coming. So it's obviously worked out. I think that's kind of an extreme example. It's it's hard to say that hey, you can you can just do that nowadays. Right. Um, on the on the flip side, you know, Mississippi State going from the Leach offense to going to Kevin Barbe's offense, pretty big difference. Maybe not as big as triple option to spread. Right. right. I mean that that's huge. But I thought that was a also a great comparison, Tyler. But yeah, I mean. I think you go look at Mississippi State. I mean, they're recruiting okay right now. I think they're 31st in the on-three team industry recruiting rankings. Mississippi State's a place where you can get some guys, but you're not going to be in the top ten recruiting every year. So you got to have something kind of unique there. I, I think it's tough, man, for them right now. I mean, to me, everybody's going to try to copy the, the Coach Prime approach. Yeah. Here's the problem with that. It's just like people trying to copy South Carolina and women's basketball. This works because of Deion Sanders. Right. There's only one Deion Sanders. There's only one Don Staley. Yeah. So everybody else can try to copy it, but unless you have that name brand, 
then you can't get the type of players to come right in and, and play and, and sort of make those instant impacts. And it just so happens to help that your your son sure. is a stud, a dude, an absolute beast of a quarterback. And, you know, I, I do feel like this Coach Prime thing, looking on social media, there's no middle ground. You got people tweeting um, in astonishment that Colorado is playing loud music and playing the fight song of Oregon. No other coach has ever thought of that before. <laughs> yeah, you know, you got people on that side of it, but then you got people who don't want to give the credit that yeah. is clearly deserved, and they think that Dion is just a figurehead of a coach, and, and he's really truly done a fantastic job. He has, and I think it's also important to note that he has previous head coaching experience at Jackson State, where he was able to build that program into something very strong over the past couple of years before going to Colorado. Zach Arnett has literally never been a head coach. He's only been a coordinator, and again, thrust into this role in unfortunate circumstances, and they did, for whatever the dis deciding factor on making him the head coach was, that's what they decided to do. He went from an intern to the full-time head coach going into the season, and that's what they're rolling with, but he's still learning things about being a head coach and going through the trials and tribulations of it. Just three games in, so obviously it's going to take some time for him to adjust and adapt to that, and that's something that plays a factor in this as well. Just 37 years old, Zach Arnett. I, I feel for him, man. Yeah, I mean, fir first head coaching job was as a GA mm -hmm. at San Diego State in 2011. Yep. That, now, I'm I'm not one of those guys that thinks inexperience means you can't do the job. Sure. I actually get very irritated when people think that. But I do think when you're a first-time head coach in that chair in the SEC, it, it can definitely play a, a role. And, and it's very rare you get a first-time head coaching job in the SEC. Yeah. You usually have to go somewhere else, too, to kind of prove yourself and, again, kind of thrust in this role in these unfortunate circumstances. So he's he's drinking out of a fire hydrant right now. I mean, I, I bet if you ask Shane Beamer, like, when when did you learn the most about being a head coach? It was probably in the months when you're actually being the head coach for the very first time. Like, you can plan, you know, this is what I'm going to do, this is what I'm going to do, until you sit there and have to make what thousands of decisions mm -hmm. like you're making you know what what time do we go to the stadium what are we feeding the guys before the game how are we structuring this how are we structuring that you're making decision after decision after decision and then guess what every single one of those decisions that you make if you don't win will be heavily scrutinized on social media and message boards so it, it's a tough spot for him absolutely we'll continue to break down the mississippi state matchup as the morning goes along again broadcasting live out at gold line framing 511 12th street in west columbia going until noon coming up next though it's garden trust hour our friend mark benoit gonna hang out with us talking a little bit more about what's going on in the world of nil that's coming up you're listening to in the bonus right here